0: Jay, the worship that Jeff and the team led us in this morning was good to connect with God. And that last song was, uh, I don't know about you, but it was just a very comforting song, wasn't it? Be able to sing our prayer back to God. This is the last message in our series Unseen, where we've been exploring the topic of spiritual warfare and talking about the, quote, invisible forces that oppress mankind that are against God and His will. We've only really begun to uncover the topic and several of you have shared that the series has been very insightful to you and I want you to know that when we begin our new series in January on the Gospel of Mark, we're going to journey with Jesus through Mark, we'll be picking up this theme again and so we'll gain even more insights. But in this last message I want to talk to you about what may be the enemy's greatest form of attack and discouragement in our lives. You know, last week, we talked about his one-two punch of temptation and accusation. Now that can put us on our backs, we looked at how we can overcome that. But this weekend, I wanna look at a more paralyzing effect the enemy has by something every one of us is touched by in some way, and every one of us will eventually experience in our, own, <clears throat> in our own lives. And what I'm talking about is death. The end of life as we know it in, in this world. You know, Satan has a way of using death to create discouragement. We know he's the father of lies, and so we know he loves to send lies into our minds and our hearts whenever we're exposed to death. that that life is just about being here and then it's no more. There's really nothing beyond this life, that that really life is vanity and there's not a lot of hope in life, and on and on the stuff goes with that. He can really get us down. This past week on Monday, I officiated at my mom's funeral. And as the body she left behind was being lowered into the depths of the grave, I had some pretty deep emotions that were stirring inside of me, kind of a culmination of things. My mom oh, had lived a, a life uh, with joy, but also a lot of suffering. When she was a little girl, her father tried to kill her. She was rejected by him, and there was just a lot of stuff that was in her life. And. I was hoping that the end of her life would, would go well and would go smooth, and it, it didn't. She suffered terribly the last couple of months. And I remember her last words to me were, Son, get me out of hospice. I want to go back to my house. And I had to tell her I couldn't do that. And I remember feeling so helpless at that point, and hopeless, and even angry. How about you? I know you've been exposed in some way to death. Somebody you have loved, cared for, has died. They may have been very close to you. How did that make you feel? I'm sure at some point you must have felt disappointment, discouragement, maybe even a little bit of anger. And sometimes as Christians, you know, we think that it's not permissible to feel those feelings. We're just supposed to fold our hands and say, it's the will of God. The truth is, it's okay to feel some of those emotions. There's nothing wrong with feeling some anger about those things. And as I was thinking about Whitdale Church, I I thought about all of you. I thought about all the people and all the funerals I've ever done over 30 plus years of ministry. And it all kind of just snowballed for me. And I felt God saying to me, I want to help you, meaning me, through this, but I want to give you something that's going to help your congregation through this. So the message I'm bringing you is not exactly what I was planning on sharing this weekend, but I think it's from the Lord, and I think it's a word of encouragement to all of us. See, there's nothing wrong with feeling angry about death. The reason I say that is because Jesus felt anger about death. Let me show you what I mean. If you want to follow along, turn open in the Gospels to John chapter 11. If you're online, we welcome you to do the same. And in John 11, we have a disturbing story. Jesus uh, receives word from two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary let him know that their brother, Lazarus, is dying. Lazarus, we find out in the story, is also a friend of Jesus. It means that Jesus had a special connection with Lazarus. And so when they send word, literally they say to him, Lord, your dear friend Lazarus is very ill. And what we discover in the story is that he's not just very ill, he's gravely ill. He's going to die. Now why do you think Martha and Mary sent that message to Jesus? I had an expectation. The expectation is that Jesus is going to hear that his friend is ill, and Jesus is going to show up like he's healed so many other people, like he's even raised people from the dead. He's going to raise Jesus up, or he's going to raise Lazarus up from the dead. And they'll have their brother back, and Jesus will have his friend back. Well, what's disturbing in the story is that Jesus does not show up and Lazarus dies. Lazarus dies. And what's more troubling in this story is the fact that Jesus purposely doesn't show up so that Lazarus dies. That's one thing, not to make it. But to purposely not make it, when you know and Jesus did know he was gonna die. I think Martha and Mary felt. Can I answer that question honestly? They were human beings like you and me. How would you feel? Discouraged? A little despondent? Irritated? Maybe even maybe even angry? I know at least Martha was capable of being angry. You know, sometimes the people we love suffer greatly. Sometimes they die. We send word to Jesus through our prayers and we say to him, Lord, my spouse, my child, my parent, my friend, they're really sick. They're going to die. And I know you love them and I know they love you and God, would you please, would you just please heal them or at least comfort them, and God doesn't show up. In fact, more often than not, he doesn't show up. And how the enemy loves to use that, to put lies in our minds and our hearts, that God doesn't care, God doesn't know, it doesn't matter to God, maybe God doesn't even exist, He just loves getting us in that place. So where is Jesus? What is going on? We go back to the story, Jesus finally shows up. And when he finally shows up in verse 21, Martha greets him and Martha says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you'd only been here, that wouldn't have happened. God, if you'd only heard my prayer, she wouldn't be dead, he wouldn't be dead. That wouldn't have happened. A little later on, Mary shows up in verse 32. She says the same thing. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In fact, if you keep reading in verse 37, there's some in the crowd that said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Now, how do you think that made Jesus feel? Well, we find out. John 11, verse 33, says when Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. That's what it literally means in the Greek. That's the New Living Translation. Other translations don't pick it up, but he's deeply angry. In fact, it's an irrepressible anger. In other words, you could see it on his face. You could tell something was wrong. And it says, that he was deeply troubled. In verse 34, he asked, where have you put him? They told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Now, why is Jesus angry? Is he angry at Martha and Mary for questioning him? for being disappointed with him, for wondering where he was when they needed him? Is he angry at some people in the crowd for doubting him? Is he angry at his father? Is he angry at himself? Why is he so angry? Well, I can assure you he's not angry at the sisters, he's not angry at the crowd, he's not angry at the father, he's not angry at himself, and he's not angry at you. What he's angry at is death. What he's outraged at is the evil that caused death and the evil one in particular. That's what he is angry and outraged at. And that's what you and I can be angry and outraged at. You see, God never intended his human beings that he created to die put us on this earth to be in partnership and relationship with him, to domesticate the world, to create Eden all over the world. And if anybody ever tells you that it's just a natural part of life to die, don't believe it, that's a lie. It is not natural for us to die. I mean, if it was so natural for us to die, why do we grieve so much when someone dies? Why do we sense such loss and such loneliness? And why is it we try so hard to stay alive as long as we can? There are multi-billion dollar industries all about longevity. Don't tell me it's natural. Something inside of us says, "Uh uh-uh, it's not the way it's supposed to be. What happened? Now you've heard the story, many of you have heard the story before. When God created spirit beings and then God created the human beings, God gave the gift of free will. And God said, I want you to use this free will in relationship with me to obey me, to do as I ask. And he warned Adam and Eve. He said, if you rebel against me, the consequences will be death. If you let evil into your heart, you'll, you'll physically die and be separated from me for eternity. We know that there was an evil one by the name of Satan and a whole host of evil ones that did rebel against God. Read Ezekiel chapter 28 or Isaiah chapter 14. And they then offered the same opportunity to Adam and Eve to rebel, and Adam and Eve took them up on it, and everyone turned their back on God himself. And the wages, the consequences of that as the Bible makes clear, is death, is death. So when Jesus shows up, he sees the situation, he expresses his anger at death and the evil that has caused death. And he's so angry about it that he actually does something about it. And that's why he came in the first place. And the first thing that he does is he enters into suffering with humanity. Have you ever thought about how Jesus suffered? I mean, from the moment he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, his suffering began. And it culminated on the cross. He experienced being abused by the people as they spat on him and mocked him and hurled insults at him. He experienced rejection. He experienced Pain, physical, deep physical pain hanging on the cross and being scourged before the cross. He experienced betrayal, denial. He experienced the abandonment of his father who turned his back on him so that when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father doesn't answer him. To put it another way, when Jesus needed him most, the father didn't show up. He knows how you and I feel. When it seems to us that God hasn't shown up. Someone has said affliction makes God seem absent. Death especially. But do you know what? The Father even entered into suffering with us. Because the Father experiences the loss and the loneliness, so to speak, in the Godhead of the Son being separate. It's a mystery. One God, three persons. And the father has to abandon his son. He has to not respond to his son. Don't you think that created emotional pain and grief in the father's heart? But it all has to be done by the father and by the son for your sake and my sake. So that what appears to be defeat can become victory. So Christ dies on the cross for our sins. He takes our judgment on himself. He dies our death so that death can be transformed from an ending to a beginning. I buried my mom on her birthday. She would have been 90 years old on the 22nd. But I realized that day, that's no longer her birthday. Her birthday is now October the 16th. At 2.15 a.m., when she went into God's presence, began a whole new life, so to speak, waiting for that moment when Christ shall return and that body will be renewed. It will be a resurrected body that she will wear for eternity, far superior to any other body that God has ever created before like the one Christ had when he conquered death. You see, Satan thought he won the day when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And it appeared to everybody that Satan had won the day. But three days later when that stone was rolled aside by those angels and Christ emerged, it became clear that it wasn't a defeat, it was actually a victory. And so Paul writes those words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death, the sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It changes everything, doesn't it? It stops the lie of the enemy. And the suffering's not easy, and, and, and the process of our body decaying is not easy. It's the promise that it's a release for us. It's an emancipation for us. We come into the presence of God in what is called paradise. And there, I think, from what I understand in Scripture, we may be in bodily form of some sort. We are conscious and awake. And by the way, sometimes we have this picture that Jesus stands at the edge of heaven. I don't know if it comes from far side or whatever it is. And he's twiddling his thumbs, waiting for the next one to come up. As though they're coming up, you know, few and far between. Do you realize that at the resurrection, all of the Old Testament saints ushered into paradise? Do you understand that today, when you and I die as believers, immediately we go into presence. Heaven is growing by the second I wonder, Jesus said, if I go away, I'm preparing a place for you. People are coming into his presence continuously. And this life that we live here is so short compared to all of eternity. And the Lord's coming back again someday, and he's gonna do what he always intended to do. He's gonna have us rule and reign with him over his creation. The Bible says we even judge the angelic beings. Maybe that's why Satan was jealous Why he tried to take mankind down. The idea that those human beings would someday rule over him, I don't know. You say, well, whatever happened to Lazarus? Well, Jesus, when he met Martha, made a statement to Martha found in John chapter 11, verse 25. When she asked him, Lord, if you've been here, you know, my brother be alive. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha, you're looking at him. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So Jesus acknowledged people are gonna die, but listen, after dying, that's when they really start living. Verse 26, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. (laughs) Yeah, their body will be put aside because that thing's broken, doesn't work quite right. I'm reinjuring a brand new body, but when they die, they, they immediately come into my presence. Do you believe this, Yes. And then to prove his point, he says, where have you laid uh, Lazarus? They go to the tomb, he says, take the stone away. They say, no, we can't do it, he's been there four days, it stinks in there, the body's decaying. Jesus says, roll it away, they roll it away, he says, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Poor Lazarus. Poor Lazarus. You say, what do you mean, poor Lazarus? I mean, a poor guy, yeah, he's resurrected to life again. To prove a point, that's why Jesus delayed in the first place. So that he could say, I am the resurrection of life and use the resurrection of Lazarus or the raising of Lazarus out of the tomb to show his authority and power. But of course, when Jesus died, you know, how can the one who died raise himself from the dead, right? People didn't understand. They were keeping in mind the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, that Jesus was being obedient to the Father. The Father would raise him from the dead. I say poor Lazarus because he's got to die again. He's got to go through the whole process, getting sick again someday, suffering, and then dying again. Thank God we don't have to go through the same process. And thank God he doesn't hear our prayers sometimes. Why would we wish someone back from being in the presence of God just to make us feel a bit better? I'd far rather suffer the loss and the hurt to know what it's like for them and what it would be like for you and for me. So, when the enemy comes at you with death to try to discourage you to try to get you down, to try to convince you that life is pretty hopeless, there's nothing after this, et cetera, et cetera. Don't believe a word of it. Remember, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Now, what do you think we should do with this wonderful truth? I think we should keep it to ourselves, don't you? I think we should make sure we don't let this out. We keep it within the walls of the church and tell nobody else about it. That's how a lot of churches behave. A lot of Christians behave. That's the good news we have. And that's what we've been told to take and, and bring to the furthest places in the world. Because <clears throat> I'm telling you, there's a world out there right now that is beside itself when it comes to death. There are people out there that think that somehow, maybe, hopefully, their loved one will be reincarnated. Hopefully, they lived a good enough life to come back in a higher form. But be careful where you step. That could be my mom. There are people out there that hope that somehow they'll be absorbed into some unknown force out there and become one with the universe. There are people today that are, they are so troubled about death they have no sense of hope when it comes to the issue of death. And we're supposed to go to them and say, no, there's good news, there's hope. Death has been conquered, his name is Jesus. And that's why we do missions at Wooddale Church. That's why we have our worldwide global ministry. That's why it's so important to be involved in it because Jesus says you have to take it to the people who've never heard it. So I'm gonna ask, what I think is, I believe is one of the finest missions pastors in the country here at Wooddale Church. To join me up front, would you welcome uh, Pastor Richard Payne as he comes up here? Richard has a wonderful team. Carol and Kathy are fabulous. He's got a, a wonderful volunteer team, they're just fabulous. And uh, I am thankful for Wooddale's church commitment to bringing the hope of the gospel here, near and far. So with that, Richard, I thought maybe we'd just get a little bit of an update since it is Worldwide Week. If you could uh, share with us, how
1: many global partners do we have? We have 85 global partners. Um, that translates to about 250 people. All right. That's good. That's good. When you include the spouses and the children. And then we work with about 60 organizations here near and far. Yep.
0: And we shouldn't forget uh, the children. I know. Uh, my two uh, grandsons in Austria are, are missionaries there and they, they share very freely with the kids that are non-believers in their classes. That's right. Uh, how many countries does that represent?
1: We're in about 38 countries across six continents.
0: All right, and a lot of those countries, uh, like with our Tim- Timothy Initiative, are where less than 1% know about Jesus Christ. So uh, you and I were together in Malaysia uh, several years ago And when I was formulating the vision, we had a long talk about what this would look like from the global aspect. And we came out with that number um, of imparting the hope of the gospel, 700,000 people here near and far. And then we also talked about uh, a region of Asia where less than 1% know the gospel and how we want to plant churches there. Give us an update, if you will, please, on Vision 22.
1: Certainly, from um, 2015 through the end of last year, we had imparted the hope of the gospel through Wooddale Church's worldwide ministries alone to over 350,000 people. Praise God for that. And I would say, by the end of this year, that number will probably be at 520,000 of the 700,000 already. Now, when we talk numbers, these are people's lives. These are people that God created and loves. So it's not about numbers, it's about souls in the kingdom of yeah. heaven.
0: It's about accountability. It's about making sure we're, we're doing that. One of the things I appreciate about Richard and his team, uh, Richard's background in, in numbers and finances, and statistics, um, they do
1: a really good job of, of keeping track of those things. So, so we know how we're doing with that. How are the church plants going, by the way? Well, the church plants are going great. So back in Malaysia in 2014, we asked God for his direction and he gave us, uh, "Why don't you guys at Wooddale try to plant 4,000 to 6,000 churches between 2015 and 2022?" And I am humbled and thrilled to say that we have planted through the Timothy Initiative 4,248 churches to date, and another 749 through our other church planting partners mm-hmm. through worldwide missions. Awesome!
0: Yeah. So that's churches in places that there was no church at the time. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Richard, I, I was born a uh, missionary kid, all right? Um, uh, Talked about my mom today. She was a missionary for six years before she ever met my dad, so it's in my blood. And I've always asked God, how do you want to use me that way? And one of the things that was attractive to me in coming to Wooddale Church was the heart for missions here and opportunity for God to use that gift in my life. So you and I um, often travel, uh, and it's a grueling schedule often. It's, it's going really far away and then trying to get back on a weekend. Um, And we don't go just to uh, sun ourselves, right? What what happens when you and I go overseas so people know?
1: Well, what happens is uh, we do godly leadership development. Pastor Dale wrote a book called How to Lead the Church. And because of you, Wooddellers, that book is in 12 languages now. And what we do is we train indigenous leaders And so far, Pastor Dale has trained 1,250 indigenous leaders. And then they, in turn, go and train the people whom they oversee. So these 1,250 or so folks have trained over 15,000 leaders since March of 2015. So thank you, Dale, for being part of the story. And, uh, you know,
0: that... That book, Richard, you helped me so much with that. It was just basically taking the, the talks I did and put it in written form. It's really written for, for people in third world countries. It's, it's a, a pretty simplistic level, which is kind of where I live anyway. And uh, nobody, you know, nobody makes a profit from that. That just goes and blesses them. And I'm always excited to get the stories of how it's getting even out of our network. We, we tell anybody they can use it, as long as they are sincere about their, their walk with God. So this Christmas Eve, we'll continue with our, our annual Christmas Eve gift. Um, we've been using it to help refugees in Jordan, but we're kind of adding a new component. What is that?
1: Yeah, the new component is each one of those church plants that I talked about, they inspire hope in their local community, just like Wooddale wants to do. And they do that by taking on widows, orphans, and anti-trafficking victims. And so what we want to do with this year's Christmas Eve offering is we want to plant more churches so that more churches in the local context can reach the population around them, but also take care of widows, orphans, and trafficking victims. And so it's continuing the theme of working among the poor and the oppressed that we've done with all of our Christmas Eve offerings. And that's what we're going to use this year's Christmas Eve offering for. And we've had a few families that are aware of this and they have upfront given some significant dollars in challenging the rest of us to participate when the offering is passed around this Christmas Eve. Yeah,
0: and when Jesus ministered on earth, he didn't just talk, he did things, right? He healed, he fed, and we just feel like if we're gonna plant these churches, there needs to be an aspect of their ministry which is taking care of orphans and widows and, and we're focusing on getting these girls out of the trafficking uh, industry. And uh, so, you know, we're looking forward to the, the reports and, and, you know, the photographic evidence of widows and orphans and, and girls that are being loved and taken care of uh, because we think that'll go a long ways then toward helping us spread the gospel. It's our responsibility. So how can dealers be more connected with what God's doing here near and far?
1: Well, I would take a lead from the Tryon family. I would use the prayer guide that each one of you got today when you came in. And I would get to know the global partners and I would pray for them. And in the case of uh, the Tryon family, the girls can actually look up and say, oh, that's who they are and here's where they are and here's what they do. I mean, they know the prayer guide so well, maybe even better than me. But uh, there's a calendar in there. And so I would challenge each one of us to pray for somebody each day, whether it's our Adopt7 or whether it's a global partner or both to do that. The other thing I would say is go. Go on a short-term trip. Go locally and serve with one of the organizations that we partner with locally. Or serve here within the walls of Wooddale Church in any of our three campuses. Or help launch a micro site to one of the senior living facilities around. There's ways to go without leaving the city. Mm-hmm. And then give. When you give to Wooddale Church, you are doing exactly what our 85 Global Partners uh, need, you are giving funds, but they covet your prayers. Your prayers recently were answered by God in a way that is amazing. One of our church planters was taken uh, about 10 days ago, and just this week he was returned, he was hurt. The story is good, he's alive. That's not the case with every one of our church planters. Many of these folks put their lives on the line every single day to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But this man was returned, and uh, he's back with his family. So, praise God for that.
0: Yeah. 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 and that, you know, To me, that's, that's one of the evidences, of the power of the resurrection. Nobody goes and dies just you know, for a message that's not real. These, these men, these women, we've met them, are so impacted, so committed to that message, that they literally walk in harm's way, willing to give up their lives, they're that convinced. And uh, that we would be that convinced as well. You know, this isn't uh, an opportunity for us to say how proud we are of ourselves. That's not what this is about. This is about this is about saying, look how awesome our God is.
1: Amen.
0: And that He would He would invite us like, and that's always been His plan. He wants us in partnership with Himself. Originally, it was to steward the earth, Eden. You know, we blew it, right? But God hasn't given up on us. And now he says our responsibility is to partner with him in bringing people into his kingdom. Now some people don't want to and that's between them and God. We're not gonna force it but we lovingly show it to them that we are for them, that God is for them. It's like our we are for ministry. And then someday the Lord's gonna return and we're gonna do the world right. That's God's plan. It's an awesome privilege to be involved with God. Would you say amen to that? And let's stand and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we stand here before you humbly, realizing, Lord, that there's a world that needs to be saved. And Father, while we can't save the whole world, we can be accountable with our capacity. And Lord, you've given us an incredible capacity. There are a lot of people here. And God, if we would just release to you our lives and our resources even more people's lives are going to be impacted here, near, and far. God, you're bringing some exciting opportunities to Wooddale Church, locally as well as locally. I pray that we'll be ready to go with you. Now, if you'd like someone to pray with you, or one of our pastors will be here at the front, our prayer partners, but otherwise, please visit those tables, greet our local partners, those who are far away, and see how you can get involved. God bless you. Don't miss next weekend.